0: Hey, all right, everyone, welcome to today's show. This is episode 15 of Heal Thyself, 15 episodes down. It feels like we've done 115, but 15 episodes down, you know we've got a lot of good guests coming on in the future. I know you've enjoyed the guests that's been coming on already in the past. And I really, my goal here is for all of this information to be mind-blowing slash educational slash easily digestible. And by having this information this way, you're able to share it with loved ones. You're able to share it with friends, coworkers. I don't care who it is. It's just a matter of spreading this information so we become aware and empowered. As I said in one of my first episodes ever, the most important thing you can do is become an advocate for yourself in health. Most important thing, you become an advocate for yourself in life. It doesn't matter, but understanding that you are responsible much more than you think more responsible for your health, because there's organiz- organizations out there, but they're not necessarily vested in fully taking care of you, and, um, and life in general, right? Understanding that your own thoughts, words, and actions are manifesting this reality that we're experiencing. So pay very close attention to all of these things. And I'm over here just a messenger, and, uh, and whatever is going through me hopefully resonates with you. So before I get in there, please support the show. I'm always going to say it. Rate this show. If you like it, give it five stars. If you hate it, give it one star. It's okay. Review it. Let us know. If it resonates, let us know. If it helps you or a family member, let us know. And subscribe. By subscribing, you are supporting the show, make it, making it more visible to people. And that's the whole point, right? We're setting a little uh, wildfire of health and consciousness, and it's a beautiful thing. So... Why don't we just jump right into today's Knowledge Bomb? All right, so today's Knowledge Bomb is a really important one. I have been coming across many patients, particularly even one this morning. And it was interesting because after I wrote this show and put it together, I had this patient call me and she was down in Texas. And, you know, I don't take uh, patients uh, in the state of Texas. Usually I'd like to have them stick in Los Angeles, but she spoke to me and we had a conversation about pretty much how I can support her. But she saw two naturopaths. And I say naturopaths with quotations in my head, because I want to present to everyone the spectrum of Uh, practitioners out there. Well, she saw these two naturopaths. Well, we're not really licensed in the state of Texas. So who the heck did she see? Because she saw them in an office. I don't know if they found a loophole. I don't know what's going on, but I'm more concerned if she even saw real doctors. So we have to understand where we can access practitioners who we're looking for, because I get this question all the time on DMs. How can I find a doctor like you? How can I work with you? Um, can you tell me someone in the state of Massachusetts, in the state of North Dakota, in the state of Minnesota? So uh, really important for us to understand where we can access these practitioners. Additionally, what practitioners we want to look for. Where do we go? How do we find them? So that's what I really want to get into because the future of medicine is not plain old going in, getting a prescription and leaving. We are too awakened. We are too empowered. And as the younger generations grow, we're teaching the younger and younger generations how to approach their health because it's very different than it was for your mom, your dad, and certainly our grandparents. All right. So how many of you have had this experience? I mean, the last time I was at a conventional doctor for a checkup was 2009, June, uh, and it was for a really bad uh, throat irritation. And I'll never forget, I was in there, actually counted, I was in there for 10 minutes. I waited for maybe 15, but 10, 10 minutes face-to-face with this uh, the, my primary care physician in my hometown. And we spoke about my symptoms, but could you believe she didn't even look into my throat? That's the last time I looked. I went to a conventional doctor. She didn't even look into my throat. She gave me antibiotics and I took them. Um, and yeah, great. My throat got better to what expe- what, what, ex- what is the extent and expense of all of this, right? So we have to understand on average, on average, a conventional doctor will be in your patient visit for 15 minutes. How can you practice responsible medicine in 15 minutes? Now, if it's emergent medicine, uh, sure. If you wanna put the bandaid on something, sure. But how can you understand someone's lifestyle, someone's stressors, someone's diet, someone's environmental exposures, someone's relation to themselves and others? How can you understand and take a holistic perspective to someone's health, real health, in 15 minutes. I know I can. I take about an hour and 15 minutes for my visits. How is that possible? So we want to shift this paradigm. And if you're looking for a practitioner, I'm going to teach you how to do this. But I want to I make this clear. There was a study in the Journal of Internal Medicine, and they took 272 randomly selected patient and doctor encounters and it was up in the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota and then parts of their satellite clinics. And what they saw was that the majority of time, doctor didn't even ask the patient what the purpose of the visit was, or, or why are you here, or what's going on, what are you suffering with, right? The majority of the time. And by majority of the time, I mean 64% of the primary care, uh, care visits and 80% of the specialized visits. Not, not even asking why, what's going on, how can I help you? Um, and then even when they did ask and the patients had the opportunity to explain, they found in 63% of the primary care visits were interrupted and 80% of the specialty care visits were interrupted in mid-sentence. And they saw, they even timed it and they did this like with, a vi- with vi- um, uh, analyzing videotapes. They saw that the interruptions came from a range of three seconds to 234 seconds with an average uh, median time, they say it of 11 seconds. Okay. Three seconds. So how can someone even get out half of a sentence saying, doctor, I feel that, boom, three, sentence, three seconds, interruption. I, to me, one of the most therapeutic parts of medicine is being heard and having a patient come in and sit down and, and saying, what's going on? Let's let's talk about it. Let's start. Just let it all out. That's one of the most cathartic and therapeutic things a patient can do. And we're taking that away from medicine. And that's the design. Now, I don't want to villainize doctors, but I want to villainize the industry because that is the paradigm that they're in. So even if they want to take an hour with the patient, it's not the way it's going to work. They are tied and bound to the limitations in the box of what we call insurance. So they have 20, 30, 40 more people to see in a day. So logistically, it's not going to work that way, but that's the design. Income naturopathic doctors, income functional doctors, income integrative doctors. These are practitioners who are trained to help you, to listen to you, to get to the root cause, to use functional labs, to find out why. And This is what I've been preaching since day one. But me being a naturopathic doctor, I want to start off there. And it's very important to understand what is a naturopathic doctor and how to find one, right? A naturopathic doctor is a four-year trained medical school doctor. We have the same textbooks as a conventional medical school. The only thing is that we shift in many ways, right? We learn a lot about herbal medicine. We take two years of nutrition rather than a day of nutrition, on average, and conventional, and uh, we we learn different modalities, whereas we don't learn much about emergent medicine because who the heck wants an naturopathic doctor in emergent care? Um, and then what shifts is when we get into clinic, we don't do rotations in things like emergency care or hospitals. We stay in a clinic and practice our medicine as in the ways we love it. And we you know there's different shifts like botanical medicine shift, oncology shift, which I did all two years of uh, clinical rotations. Then we go into residency. I did my residency in cancer. Okay. How do you find a naturopathic doctor? Where do you find a naturopathic doctor, right? Because you can Google it, but guess what? Guess what? There may be what I call naturopaths. Well, I thought a naturopath was a naturopathic doctor. It's not the same because the schooling is not the same. The regulation is not the same. and, And many times the result is not the same. So American Association of Naturopathic Medicine. That is where you're going to go to look in the database for a naturopathic doctor. And it's naturopathic.org. In there, you'll learn what naturopathic medicine is. You'll see categories of naturopathic medicine, different specialties, subspecialties. Okay. You can research within that site. Type in your zip code and they'll show you who's around you. Take that information and look at the doctor. Call in find out about their experience, go to their social media page, see if what they're saying resonates with you, right? Because you can get a lot of ideas about people, the way they're blogging or practitioners, the way they're blogging, the way they're putting up posts, what's in their stories, be your own investigator. So don't just jump into the closest person to you because you're going to be spending a lot of money. We don't come cheap. Most of us don't take insurance. That's just the way the design is. Okay. So naturopathic, medical degree is the number one thing you're going to look for. You want your practitioner to be coming from a four-year school that's accredited and passing rigorous board exams, right? You have two board exams after year two and year four, the science-based one and the clinic-based one. They have to pass that. You want to have a clinician who can practice legally, right? there's It's just... It's not the Wild West, but there's not the best regulations that I'm seeing. So uh, they're, they're licensed by the Naturopathic Medical Education Council. All right. Medical doctors who include these naturopathic remedies or holistic remedies, as I'll call them, in their toolkit are known as integrative medicine or functional doctors, right? Functional medicine was started by a naturopathic doctor. So we share a lot of the same ideals because, again, it was started by a naturopathic doctor. So we approached and put in our tenets of medicine and, and that translated to what functional medicine is. It's a branch of naturopathic. And then integrative medicine is sort of a uh, all of the disciplines together working uh, for the patient's best interest. So here is the part where the confusion comes, right? Because we have naturopaths or traditional naturopaths. Now, these are key words that you want to look out for. Now, I don't want to bash them because they, they, they may be some really awesome herbalists out there who have these degrees, but you have to understand there's no regulation into naturopaths and traditional naturopaths, and sometimes even called naturopathic practitioners. So what what happens is they usually undergo state chartered or what I call proprietary schools, and their curriculum varies. If there was standardization across the board, it'd be a different story. But if you go to this school or do this online program, it's not necessarily the same as the one the other one being offered, and the graduation requirements are a little bit different. The years are different. The basis is different of what you're studying, and these these practitioners are getting their diplomas from even distant learning programs, like online or through the mail. Um, so it's really important for us to understand if we if these practitioners are charging thousands and thousands of dollars, you want to make sure that they're having. The best education, the best um, access to information, and they're just good practitioners because there's too, too much variation in traditional naturopaths and naturopathic practitioners. And the tricky part is even some of them call themselves naturopathic doctors. There is a practitioner on Instagram who uh, has a following just like me. And everyone believes he's a doctor, but he's not a naturopathic doctor. He's he, he did these loopholes and went through this schooling and has a big podcast and, you know, look, has a lot of good information. So I, can't, I don't want to take that away. And he puts a lot of good information out. But at the end of the day, people have to understand this isn't a naturopathic doctor. He didn't go to a four-year accredited schooling program, right? Didn't graduate and take those two uh, board exams. So We just, if we're putting our money out there, we want to make sure we're getting something worth it, okay? So other options are practitioners who graduated from the Institute of Functional Medicine, IFM, or um, A4M, that's the anti-aging one, integrative medical practitioners. So here are some rules to go by. All right. So you have the first order for me is making sure that they have formal education. As I've just mentioned, we're stressing. You want naturopathic doctor, ND, or medical doctor, MD, or DO. You want something like chiropractor, DC, um, acupuncture, LAC, PhDs, NPs, RNs, RDs, um, the IFM, CP, that's the um, certification through Institute of Functional Medicine, CNS, MSC. They have the American Board of Physician Specialties, Um, And that's for the integrative medicine fellowship program or the A4M certification, as I mentioned. These are all designations that we want to see for formal education. These practitioners are graduating uh, with a rock solid foundation that's standardized, right? So usually um, what I see is a lot of these medical doctors and um, osteopathic doctors, MDs and DOs, we know that they don't get the formal holistic medication Education in school. So what they're doing is they're doing these postgraduate programs like functional medicine institute of uh, functional or institute of integrative medicine or A four M. So you'll see that they'll, they'll have their designation like MD or DO, but they'll also show that they have training in this. That's extensive training so that they're learning nutrition finally, which is crazy to say. Um, they're learning about herbal medicine, hopefully um, at least to a good, good, good amount of uh, learning to be able to apply it correctly. Um, and then learning about how to do functional labs and what that means. So that's really cool that that's happening, right? The second is make sure they're involved, make sure they're getting continuing education, make sure they're staying relevant, make sure that they're publicizing, they're saying, hey, look, I just went to this conference and here are some new things that is coming out, or writing posts on it, or or you know showing in their stories, they're active. You want to see that, you want to see that they're using reliable sources, they're they're getting they're taking good studies and using that as robust data to disseminate information to you all to empower you, and make sure you stay away from people who are going one size fits all. Everyone who comes to me is only going to do one thing. This is, this is the Dr. G protocol for gut health. And everyone who walks in my door is going to do this. Be careful. Run away from me if I ever say that. You understand? Um, transparency. Make sure that they're transparent about what they do, what where they trained, of course. Ask them and be empowered and say, all right, what is it exactly that you do, Dr. Smith? Where were you trained, Dr. Smith? And tell me a little bit about what I I can expect with you. Am I gonna be healed Um, 100%? Have you seen this before? What population of patients do you see? What's the plan? Or what are there hidden fees, right? Because that that can happen for sure. So you ask, are there hidden fees? Um, Show me a breakdown of first visit, second visit, third visit, labs, how much labs are gonna cost. Because at the end of the day, like I said, it's not cheap to see these types of practitioners, unfortunately, right? Uh, maybe one day insurance will cover it all, but where we are today, it's not, gonna, it's not happening. And again, make sure they're coming from, they're, they're, or they're joining accredited affiliations within their industry or educational institution ties or um, different professional programs. The whole point is for us to understand who we're seeing. And w- just like everything else, We have to make sure that we're doing our own research and we're empowered enough to look for someone who fits us, right? Because Dr. Gonzalez might not fit what you want, but Dr. Jane can, you know? So make sure you understand before you even make the call what you're getting into and the patients that we see, um, right? Because I can take any cancer patient because I'm very confident with cancer, but I don't treat Lyme patients, you see what I mean? So if someone comes to me for Lyme, I'm not going to just take it, but there's other doctors who will go, yeah, of course I take Lyme with with very poor training. So let's let's understand that. Do your own research. Be empowered. Understand that there's doctors out there who are very well-meaning and want to do a lot of powerful work in supporting you and your health and your healing. So I really hope this helped. Um, Let's just go into the um, product review or the educational part of this. And then let's just dive right into our special guest. So we're moving fast. We're moving. We're moving really good, efficient. And yeah, let's see. Let's see where this goes. All right, check it out for today's product review. This is by popular demand. I have gotten it left and right pretty much since I started the show, which to my surprise, I just didn't know that people were that concerned to that extent, but it's cookware, 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 cookware. Why? Because we cook all the time, and we wanna make sure that as we grow in our understanding of our relationship to our environment, well, we also have to think about where our food's coming from. So um, I wanted to say a few things about cookware. Cookware can absolutely be a source of toxins and heavy metals. 100,000% because if you think about it intuitively, you're heating this material up and then it's mixing up with different acids and bases and temperatures and oils and different uh, ingredients. And what that's doing is causing reactions on the surface which leach into the food that we eat. So it's so important for us to understand what we can do with cookware. Number one, is to understand that the two worst cookware materials that you can have are Teflon and aluminum, okay? Teflon being the worst of the two, but still aluminum being concerning in itself. So the toxins in cookware are basically like this. You have aluminum, and aluminum's known to, thats a heavy metal, it's known to have over 200 different uh, biological reactions in the body. Meaning that, let's say, We're creating energy in this cycle in our body, and it's just flowing and flowing. And then aluminum comes out of nowhere. It's like a monkey wrench into that cycle, or it's like putting a stick into two gears that are flowing because that's going to slow down and or stop that cycle from working efficiently. So aluminum is a nasty one, and it's been connected to neurotoxicity, cognitive issues down the line, neurodegenerative diseases. Um, So Automatically, if you have a cheap, known aluminum uh, pan or pot, throw it in the garbage and get a new one. Teflon is uh, a blend that was created for nonstick, and usually when you see the words nonstick, it's most likely Teflon. And Teflon is made of, here we go, polytetrafluoroethylene. That's, that's what Teflon is. All right. But let's say for short, a Teflon. And what happens is as you're cooking with Teflon, there's these toxic gases that are produced, believe it or not. Isn't that crazy? Like you're in your kitchen and it's producing toxic gases. It's been called the worst cookware of all time. That's kind of dramatic, but look, I'm a Leo. I talk like this anyway. What happens is there's something called the, uh, like a Teflon flu. So certain groups of people who are cooking in Teflon uh, basically are exposed to these gases and they have flu-like symptoms. How crazy is that? So who who would ever even connect that? Oh, uh, I feel like I have the flu. It must have been the Teflon I was cooking in for dinner. But this these gases have been known to kill birds. How crazy is that? So if you have a bird in the kitchen, the risk of cooking in Teflon is that that bird's going to die. And that's going in our body. And that's going in our food. Okay, so nonstick material is notoriously dangerous because of a chemical called POFA perfluoro-octotanoic acid I got it this time um, and that's used to make Teflon and what happens is what they found is in a study it's present in the blood of most people at low levels and it's even in in these in this cookware at low levels but it's additive it builds up right we're using it every single day and it's present in the blood well What's the problem with POFA? Well, we see in animals it increases certain tumors like liver, testicular, uh, mammary gland, breast tissue, pancreatic in animals causing cancer. And also some studies in humans have been connected to different types of cancers as well, like testicular, prostate, bladder, ovarian, thyroid, kidney. So why is this in our cookware? Why is this going into the food that we give to children? right? And whoever questions something as benign as cookware, because we're not taught to think this way, but Dr. G is here to teach you, right? And we're here to empower ourselves, and we're here to tell our brother, our cousin, our dad, our grandpa— This is why we do what we do. Right. So um, and it's also connected to liver dysfunction and hormone dysfunction. So if you have a Teflon pan, please take a video. Please tag me in it and show me because you need to throw that away. Open up your garbage out wide and throw it away. Um, Please do not take another meal through Teflon. All right. So Some other heavy metals present in cookware are copper, nickel, cadmium, and we know that these heavy metals all are basically monkey wrenches in our biological systems and our processes in maintaining our health. Um, but we also see things like BPA. Remember I had a whole rant on BPA and I talk about BPA all the time. It's because even BPA free, that's a, that's a whole front by the plastic industry. It's still all the same. It's still going to mess up our hormones. It's still going to be inflammatory. It's still going to elicit autoimmune disease. We have things like polystyrene, um, very similar, same idea, or called styrene. We see it on tests of styrene, um, same idea, hormone disruption, autoimmune disease. Then we have things like fire retardants in cookware, rubber, silicon. So all of these chemicals leaching into our food, we're, we're trying to make a healthy meal, right? You put a little bit of asparagus, you put a little bit of radish, maybe some cut carrots and a potato, and we think we're eating a healthy meal and you know, it's leaching all of these heavy metals and chemicals into the food. I don't want you all to go crazy, but I just want you to be empowered. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about some other options, but I want you to know that the IARC called this POFA chemical coming from Teflon uh, as a grade two carcinogen, meaning it's possible it's gonna cause cancer. We need more studies, but remember, I have trust issues, so I don't believe it. Uh, And let's think about it this way, and the EPA also is very much so concerned about it. It has an additive effect, right? They find a little bit in the blood, then you have it for dinner, you cook on it for lunch, next day, dinner, lunch, it's an additive effect building up in our blood over time. So what do we do now? Where do we go? We're stuck, right? No, not necessarily there's other options. So stainless steel is pretty good. Stainless steel, the risk is that it's also releasing aluminum. So think about higher quality stainless steel. Stainless steel is usually a mix of different metals, um, but you want a high quality one um, and always call the company and ask them about leaching of heavy metals. They'll be able to present you with this information if they're a good company. Um, Cast iron is another one that's used. And cast iron is wonderful, uh, but there is the risk of iron leaching as well. So pay close attention, especially... Iron shouldn't be something that you're just having every single day, particularly if if you have problems breaking down iron or if your iron is really high or if you're chronically ill. So these are things that we want to think about uh, what are the uh, what, are, what, are, what are the repercussions of maybe a cast iron cast iron skillet although overall they're pretty good um, i don't have one but i would i would have one so glass is another option i really like that one because it's to me the most benign of all and then there's ceramic with non-toxic coating this is sort of up in the air um, there's companies like zwilling green pan green pan green gourmet um, what was the other one Green earth, these are some of them that are using this non toxic, um, basically their own benign, non toxic Teflon. Uh, Again, my trust issues are like, all right, well, what's it made of? How you know, I'd I'd have to do a bit more research before I commit to that. I feel more comfortable with high quality stainless steel or cast iron or glass, but a lot of these. Teflon materials on these natural ceramics are made of sand and stone, which already sounds better to me than manufactured chemicals that are known to cause cancer in animals. Um, But yeah, so look, explore it this way, do some research, look for glass, look for cast iron, look for a ceramic, um, possibly ceramic, and look for stainless steel, high-quality stainless steel, and just make the switch. Um, Just that one switch will already start lowering that load of toxicity for you and your family. And... Why not see, as I mentioned before, a functional doctor, naturopathic doctor, integrative doctor who is trained into to be able to testing these levels, right? Let's test the levels of chemicals and heavy metals in your body and do it yearly. Just do it yearly. If all of a sudden you got a new set of pans and your aluminum is through the roof or your cadmium is through the roof or your nickel is through the roof um, or your iron is through the roof, then maybe maybe there's room for intervention. And any doctors listening, make sure you're asking about uh, cookware. So um, fun. That was really cool. And I hope everyone who was asking about cookware is satisfied and satiated with these words. Let us move on to the awesome, amazing uh, special guest that we have on. I I can't wait for this one. It's going to be. All right, today's special guest is one of my favorite people that I follow. I've been following her for quite a long time. She's amazing. Kanchen Koya, a.k.a. Chief Spice Mama, a.k.a. the queen of all things spices. We're going to get into it right now.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. So fun to be here. Such an honor.
0: Yeah, so you came in from New York.
1: I flew in from New York yesterday. Mm -hmm. And this is my little pit stop on the way to another panel and I'm so glad it worked out because I'm a huge fan and it's really just so great to be here chatting.
0: How Okay, so how do you like LA?
1: Wow, Um, I love it. It's my third visit and I came um, in October last year for the first time and I have to say I was expecting lots of traffic and freeways and lots of cars, which I did see, but I get it. I get why people love it. There's something about the sky, the light, the vibe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the driving would be the only reason I probably wouldn't live here.
0: Yeah. It, it's funny because there's little pockets and we only move based on that pocket because I live here on the West side. And then it's kind of blasphemous if someone says, let's go to downtown LA, which is all the way on the East right. side. Because they're like, what do you mean go to downtown LA? How are we going to get there? I'm like, buy a car, you know? Yeah. And coming from, you, did you grow up in New York?
1: Oh, I grew up in India, uh-huh. um, but I've been in New York a while and we walk everywhere or we take public transportation yeah. or we take a quick like Uber or Lyft. Yeah. So yeah, the idea of driving everywhere.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey and like mm-hmm. you can drive, an hour drive is pretty much nothing. You're just like, well, I'm going to go here and we're expecting it for it to be an hour. So then I come here and then like a 30 minute drive and it's like, something else. It's kind of...
1: Yeah. When I was here in October, a lot of my Insta mom friends, we, they came to see me. We had drinks and they all drove at least an hour and I was so touched. And then they were like, no, no, no. It's an hour to go anywhere in LA. So then I felt less uh, yeah <laughs> less special. <laughs> it's, a, it's,
0: it's already just like one hour automatically, wherever you're going to go.
1: I guess so. Wow.
0: So you have a pretty incredible story because you were going on one path and you were going full force strong and then just pivoted and then created this whole thing, which we're going to get into. But can you just tell us about sort of your your background? Where are you coming from? Yeah.
1: So like I said, I grew up in India and in eighth grade, I knew I wanted to be a molecular biologist. I literally, as soon as I studied DNA and its structure and that A pairs with T and C with G, I was so fascinated by biology. And I was like, this is what I want to study for the rest of my life. And I did it. So I Came from India to the U.S. to study molecular biology at University of Texas, Austin. And then I went to grad school at Harvard Medical School and did my Ph.D. there in cancer, molecular cancer biology. And I loved it. Um, It was intense. But I studied DNA repair and how we have all these beautiful mechanisms built into our cellular makeup that allows us to handle the onslaught of environmental toxins, UV light, stress, whatever. So I was very much on that path, but I knew quickly that I didn't want to be an academic researcher because I've always enjoyed sort of um, bridging the gap, I would say, between research and the common man or a woman. So um, I finished my PhD and then I started a biotech company. And we decided we wanted to bridge this gap between all this compelling, powerful research that happens in academic labs and take it to the real world. So we were trying to find new antibiotics for drug-resistant bacteria, gram-negative bacteria, And we were doing that for two years, just going around the country at different universities, talking to researchers, saying, hey, you've got some cool science. What do you think about commercializing it into a drug? And then the idea was that we would de-risk it to some point and then partner with a bigger pharmaceutical company. So learned a lot about early stage drug development, the business of it. Um, Really enjoyed it, actually. Learned a lot and found very, within two years, found that it's hard to treat drug-resistant gram-negative infections. And there really isn't a solution out there that's easy to commercialize or it would have been done already. So kind of you know, went back to the drawing board. Um, but that was like my stint in biotech. And then my husband and I moved to Hong Kong um, on an expat assignment for my husband and I thought I'll just continue my love of biotech and my exploration of drug development there. And um, I quickly realized that in Asia, it was a lot more about generics and me too drugs. And there really wasn't so much innovation going on. So I had a six month old baby. I had just become a mom. And I guess it forced me to ask myself the question, if no one cared what my CV looked like, or no one cared what I did with my PhD, what would I really want to do? What does my heart and soul really want to do? And it just came down to food. And food and lifestyle is medicine. I'd always been a big believer that what you do every day in terms of food and lifestyle um, is way more powerful than the most powerful drug on the market. My lab had actually studied spices. This is another planting of the seed moment. So my my uh, during my PhD, my lab started to study the anti-cancer powers of curcumin, which is the active compound in turmeric. And so I think all these seeds were just kind of blossoming slowly and I was like, you know what? I understand science, I can communicate that with people who don't understand it. um, I enjoy doing that and teaching them. And I really want to talk about how we can leverage the power of food. And then I thought spices are cool. I grew up with them. My lab kind of studied them. So I started Spice Spice Baby. And that was the massive pivot.
0: What a pivot, because look, this is what I'm a big proponent of. I I tell people, ask this question to yourself. Even if you're 10 years into a successful job, if you, you, yours was the CV, but if you could do this for free, if someone was paying your rent and paying your food, but you were just doing this for free, other than that, what would you do? What warms your heart? What is it that your soul's pulling you to do? And how that question is never posed early in people's lives is baffling to me. Because you're really passionate about this. You know, it's, it's visible in every single one of your posts, every single one of your blog stories, everything. Have you found a huge response once you started this based on what you're doing from people?
1: I did. I started it as a bit of an experiment and a hobby, and I was surprised at how much I loved all the non-science aspects of it. So I loved integrating the science of spices with education, but I actually loved writing more than I thought I would. I loved cooking and recipe development. I'm a huge foodie. And then I loved the photographing and the blog, the blogging aspect. So it really did end up being just this wonderful synergy of interests, and hopefully what I'm good at. And so I think that translated into a positive response. Also, people in the West, um, I found are less familiar with spices, so they were really looking to learn the basics. So anytime I would share, you know, the the health properties of turmeric or why cumin is great for digestion. People were really interested. And so I just felt like I was genuinely helping people embrace these ancient ingredients in their daily cooking. Yeah, so I would say the rest, the response was positive and continues to be, and people continue to want to learn. Even though I feel like I've taught everything there is to teach, um, I'm not done because people are still interested.
0: For sure. And it, one thing that is interesting to me is that in the West, I mean, we grow up, uh, not even exposed to uh, a variety of spices we don't and and so many of my friends and even my family they're like, oh this is too spicy I'm like spicy but then you go and eat Indian food, Latin food you know and your' every one of your taste buds is tingling because there's such a variety mm-hmm. and synergy of these spices that they work in together not only for taste but for therapeutic effect but um, we, do, do you find in America we're just so devoid of Spice culture here.
1: <laughs> I think it's changing, and I'm hoping that I'm part of the movement that's making that happen. You know, I think um, one of the biggest misconceptions I found people had was that all spices are spicy and so the common reaction is I don't like hot food so I don't really want to cook with spice but the reality is aside from the chili pepper family and maybe the black pepper family spices are not spicy they're aromatic they're flavorful they hit all kinds of different notes whether it's sour astringent sweet smoky floral so it really is a treasure trove of flavor enhancers that mother nature gave us which Mm -hmm. is quite incredible and then it turns out there's a whole layer of therapeutic effects which our ancestors fully understood which is why they traded in spices it was like you could buy oxen for nutmeg or you know it's like actual currency Um, so i think Like I said, just convincing people that these ancient ingredients are not just amazing flavor enhancers, but can really improve your health and your happiness because food tastes good and that makes me happy.
0: And you know who I think is really pioneering what spice is turmeric, right? Like, man, people are going crazy over this. People are
1: going crazy.
0: When I did my residency in oncology, that was one of the go-tos because it has about 30 plus different anti-cancer effects. Uh, which is amazing right and giving it to these people, not only on for people who are suffering with muscle pain, joint pain, but it helps them on so many other levels.
1: Yeah, I grew up with a lot of these spices and I grew up with turmeric. And frankly, I think I just took it for granted, as many Indians do, because it's just an integral part of your kitchen and you're like, whatever, spice box. Yeah, seen Mm -hmm. that a million times. And it was really when I was at Harvard Medical School and my lab starts looking at turmeric and I'm thinking, wow, my grandmother has been... Making me drink golden milk when I was sick, which I didn't like to drink. I always tell the story how I had to chug it by closing my nose because I found it kind of repulsive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, In my cookbook now, I try to make it less repulsive for people and especially kids. But, you know, it's a pretty intense flavor and they really load up the golden milk in India, the grannies, to make you take it when you have a sore throat or any kind of respiratory infection or... So, um, yeah, it is, you know, I think it's kind of funny that it's so popular now. And most cafes in New York have a golden latte on the menu. You're
0: too. Everywhere. Oh, yeah, everywhere. It's the thing.
1: <laughs> it's the thing. Yeah. And you're right. You know, you have to, um, it's kind of amazing that our ancestors figured out, okay, Well, it's probably a good idea to warm the turmeric in some kind of fat source. And now we know from modern science that Mm -hmm. that actually activates the curcumin, makes it more bioavailable in the body. And they also figured out, like in Indian curry, it's often paired with black pepper. Yeah. And I guess the great-great-great-grandparents figured out that when you make a curry blend of turmeric and pepper and other spices, you're naturally augmenting the bioavailability of curcumin again. So it's just kind of cool to think that they were ahead of the modern science. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think,
0: I think we are so disconnected from nature mm-hmm. and understanding the, that connection to plants and spices and herbs and everything. Mm-hmm. We, we lost that connection and that, that intelligence where we intuitively know some things, um, because, you know, we're on our phones, we're in traffic, yeah. you know, and doing all these things. I think we things.
1: have the intuition. Yeah, we do. We just are a little bit tapped out of it rather than being tapped in. So yeah. it's a great reminder to, it's very powerful when you're tapped in.
0: One thing I've personally been doing is trying to heighten my connection with food by being present with it. So not having my phone on me, not having anything on me, and sort of being able to discern what spices in there, what, what I'm tasting. I mean, because to even develop a palate is difficult for many people, but Mm -hmm. I believe that having a better relationship and better connection with food already, like you said, can augment its therapeutic effects. So turmeric is leading the way. Would you say? Definitely
1: the most popular king of spices, queen of spices. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know which one's one of my favorite? Cayenne.
1: Oh. Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> that would be my top if I had to pick five. I can never pick. It's like asking me to pick my favorite giant. Did they
0: ask you on your Q&A? Someone asked you, They always think, ask me, what, is your what favorite? are your favorite yeah. spices? And, and I'm you like, can pick.
1: it's hard, but cayenne's definitely on top.
0: What do you find so magical about about, about cayenne? And I'll share what I love about it.
1: Well, I just think uh, people think of it as hot, And I think that's true. And it, that's one note but it also has sweet and sour notes. So Mm. I think it's actually a more complex spice than people appreciate. I just find it wakes up anything. If I cook something and I'm like, I don't know what I was doing, and this recipe is kind of blah, I literally just put cayenne on it and it's like magically transformed. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other interesting thing is, I find it makes my food more satisfying, so I will tend to overeat less. so I'll just eat more mindfully and when I'm sort of done, I'm really done. I think that's true of all spices for me, that they just make um, what I'm eating more satiating in a good way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those would be the reasons. I also think it pairs with a lot of things. So people tend to pair it with stews and lentils and kind of savory dishes, but it also pairs really well with fruit. In India, you can buy mango. I think in Mexico as well, you can buy mango with like salt oh, and cayenne yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> or for pineapple. Sure. Yeah. Oh, so good. Hicama.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jicama. Exactly. They, we, that was a little trend that I was doing last summer. I was, if I'd get mango or jicama or even pineapple, I put a little, um, what was it? Black pepper and cayenne and some salt. Yum. Because you're so used to just having a sweet pineapple. Yeah. And um, my friend at the time, she had introduced me to it. I go, what is this new flavor that I've never tasted? It's sweet and spicy and salty. It just enhances the flavor of the food so much. Oh, I love cayenne even topically it helps reduce substance P and substance P is really, uh, it's a signal for pain. Mm -hmm. So, so part of it, I I, a while ago, uh, I wanted to do a post on things in your kitchen that you can have just handy for like a first aid too. Yeah. Right. Because it can do that. Or like the astringent properties of like, let's say cinnamon or something Mm -hmm. can help dry out a wound that maybe you're chopping up something, you cut your finger.
1: Well, in India, we always put turmeric on open wounds for quick healing, and we know yeah. it has potent anti-inflammatory effects. And then cayenne as well, because of capsaicin, the mm-hmm. active compound, again, very potent anti-inflammatory. I've never used it on... So where would you use it topically?
0: So they, they have cayenne creams.
1: Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right.
0: And and the same thing, like using it, uh, using it for its capsaicin is just wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, people do well, and it is like warming in the beginning, like tingly, mm-hmm. but it helps reduce that pain. Pain. It's like nature's icy hot. Love
1: it. Nature's icy hot. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so um, I, I think that's, that's pretty incredible that you're really bringing to our consciousness. You have beautiful pictures of these creations that you're making that are so Hardy, I know your husband. Thank you. Your husband is a very
1: happy, man. <laughs> my husband is picky. Is he? So he helps me up my game is when he? it comes to food. Yeah, he's probably he really should be in the food business. He loves to cook, um, but uh, yeah, he inspires me to be better.
0: Ceylon cinnamon.
1: Mm-hmm. That's been a big part of my message.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit because yeah. man, I get questions all the time, and I'll, I'll answer it. But I feel like we want to hear from the queen.
1: Yeah, from the queen. You know, when I, um, yeah, so I feel like it's a good one because cinnamon is so beloved and so popular and an easy spice for spice newbies to embrace. And I learned in the course of my research that there's two main kinds of cinnamon, there's the common variety, which you find everywhere, which is cassia cinnamon. Saigon cinnamon is also cassia cinnamon. And then there's a second variety, which is called true cinnamon, or cinnamon verum, or Ceylon cinnamon, because it comes from the island country of Ceylon or Sri Lanka. Cassia cinnamon, which is widely used, has coumarin, which is a liver toxin at high enough doses. Now, if you're using cinnamon just on occasion here and there, it probably won't matter. But if you're somebody that wants to embrace cinnamon in their lives, like I recommend people should, and I do, you want to try to make the effort to procure Ceylon or true cinnamon because you don't want to be ingesting high levels of a liver toxin. And there was a study um, that looked at coumarin levels and um, the liver toxin levels in kids in Scandinavian countries who tend to eat cinnamon quite regularly in oatmeal. And they actually found higher than kind of recommended levels of coumarin. So it can become a problem if you're eating a lot of regular cinnamon, which is why I always say, if you're gonna eat it often, you know, find true cinnamon and you can find it easily now whether on Amazon, at Whole Foods. And yeah. Food and spice yeah, because
0: it's, since it's been like in the public consciousness, it's it's came out, I've seen it at Whole Foods. Yes. And I was like, this wasn't here like a year ago, two years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting because I didn't know about the kumarin effect for children, especially that Scandinavian study, mm-hmm. um, which goes to show that just because it's natural doesn't mean...
1: Mm-hmm. You can OD oh, on it. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of mm-hmm. course.
0: And, and I think that is that's an approach that people take is, oh, it's natural.
1: More is more, yeah.
0: Which brings me to the topic saying, even though it's natural, we're still talking about, okay, where was it grown? How was it treated? Mm -hmm. Right? Because even in supplements, there's a huge range of quality in supplements. And the same goes for heavy metals and spices, right?
1: Oh, yeah. It's funny. I was on a phone call yesterday with the New York City um, Department of Public Health because they have found... Increase lead levels in South Asians in New York City, and one of the reasons they think is spice exposure. Um, So we know that sometimes turmeric specifically is contaminated with lead chromate to make it look more vibrant, almost reddish. And if it looks super reddish orangey, that's kind of suspicious. It should look more yellow. Okay. So, yeah, it can be a problem uh, depending on how it's grown, how it's processed. Um, you know, there's a lot, there's lots that happens in the supply chain, the spice supply chain. And luckily, there are some really cool companies now that are being very conscious about what spices they're bringing to the market. And they're working with single origin farms. They're testing the spices for heavy metals and contaminants. They're making sure they're not spraying the spices with insane amounts of pesticides. Cardamom, which is one of my favorites, is... I mean, I I was talking to one of the founders of uh, one of these conscious spice brands, and she said it's kind of like a pesticide bomb. So you really do want to try to do some research around where the spices are coming from and make conscious decisions about where you get them from, and then how you use them, how often you use them. And some spices, like the regular cinnamon, more is not more.
0: Can you recommend these brands for so we, sure. so, so we know?
1: Yeah, I get asked all the time. Um, so I'm always discovering new ones. I don't work for any of these brands. Mm-hmm. They're just ones that I love. I would say the so the the spice brand that does a variety of spices, single origin, fair trade, really doing, um, you know, good to the farmers. It's a hard job to grow these spices and to harvest them. It's actually backbreaking work in some cases. So the brand is called Burlap and Barrel. And they ship online. They ship online, and actually, if you want, you can use a code. We can share it in the show notes. It's Chief Spice Mama for an extra spice jar if you buy two or more jars. Their spices are wonderful, amazing flavor, and really conscious supply chain. And then the one for turmeric that I love is Diaspora Co. And that's the founder Sana. I was talking to about cardamom, and she's now bringing cardamom, which is fair trade, single origin Indian cardamom. So um, there are, um, you know, more and more conscious spice brands that are really paying attention to a lot of those. Yeah.
0: Issues. Yeah. And in, in the supplement industry, we see turmeric, um, and they're finding high levels of lead and, it, and that's so disheartening because people are taking this for things like detox, for things like anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Right. And if it's having some adverse effect in the body, well, what are we doing? You know? Right. And, um, like say the organic label, right that doesn't necessarily tell us anything about heavy metals. No. Right? It'll t- right. tell us about spraying pesticides and glyphosate. Yeah,
1: I would say email. You know, I have contacted brands. I've contacted McCormick and said, do you test your turmeric for lead? And they wrote back saying they do. Um, and they were happy to provide the paperwork. So there are reputable brands that are aware of the issue and will test and be the advocate. Yeah. You know, you can check with the brand that you think is your favorite or check and see which brands have been vetted. And yeah. Don't just trust the label.
0: So that's the whole point of the show is for like us to disseminate this information, let it go and go here. You have what you need. Take it and be your own advocate. Yeah. Put, get up behind the computer and research, get on the phone and call and find out what's coming into your home because it's so important. Right. I think people are under this belief system that because it's on the store shelf, it's fine. It's safe. It's regulated. I'm good. Right. And that's so far from true.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so and you far, do right. so much amazing work disseminating that kind of awareness and information. I've learned a lot about home toxins and, you know, all kinds of other things that we have to be mindful of yeah, especially. Yeah. As parents.
0: And and it's about, it's like empowering, not fear empowering, right. right? Because sometimes it can be overwhelming, so I say do a little bit at a time. Mhm. Um a huge issue with many patients that I see, of course, is digestive. Mhm. Right? And guess what? Spices, mm-hmm. food medicine is some of the most major, inter- the, the number one intervention before mm-hmm. any supplements I do for digestion.
1: Yeah, I suffered from very debilitating gut issues as a kid. I have vivid memories of all kinds of GI issues. I was put on antibiotics over and over again for stomach bugs, which obviously make the, made the matter worse. Um, so, yeah, I have a first hand experience with digestive distress and how debilitating it can be. And, um, yeah, I always recommend, you know, the spices that have been proven or have been researched and shown to have positive effects on digestion. So we know cumin, coriander, the paprika family, turmeric – all of these um, have digestion boosting properties. There's one called carom, which we call ajwain in India, which is probably less well studied here or less well known here, but is being studied also for its ability to either boost digestive enzyme production, keep the gut lining intact. So, with turmeric, we know that it um, activates intestinal alkaline phosphatase, which is a molecule that helps seal up those leaky gut junctions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all, just embracing these spices and bringing them into your daily life can be really helpful in addition to being conscious of your overall diet, real food as close to the earth as possible, wide variety, eat the rainbow, cut out the processed junk, et cetera, et cetera. So I think when you combine all that with these digestion boosting spices, it can really make a difference and it's made a difference for me. Fennel is another one. I was going to go right into yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, so if you've been to an Indian restaurant and left at the door you've seen usually a bowl of fennel seeds mm-hmm. which, you know, people in India chew after heavy meals. And yeah, it's a tremendous digestion boosting spice and in fact gripe water which is prescribed to babies with colic has fennel in it. Mm-hmm. I like to have roasted fennel seeds on my shelf in a jar any time. I pretty much eat a small handful after every meal.
0: Oh, you do? I do. I was eating the raw ones and I was so it was too much for me.
1: It's intense.
0: It's intense. It's intense. But you do so, a handful of the raw and it's like... So
1: uh, dry roasting them on a skillet just at medium heat for a minute or so till they become sort of aromatic can really help mellow down that intensity and pungency.
0: This is perfect. I will do that when I get home because I was chewing on the raw ones. Yeah,
1: the other thing you can do is make a tea. So here's an interesting thing. When I wrote the Spice Spice Baby Cookbook, I had a section called Spiced Remedies, and I have a digestion-boosting tea in there, which has ginger, cardamom, cumin, coriander, and fennel. And I just kind of made that tea up based on the scientific research, which said these spices can help with digestion. And it turned out that I recently went to an Ayurvedic practitioner, which was a really fascinating experience. And she recommended CCFT. And I was like, what's CCFT? And it turns out it's cumin, coriander, and fennel. And it's an ancient Ayurvedic remedy to boost digestive fire, but also cool down excess heat in the digestive tract. So if you have acid reflux issues, it's often used to kind of do both, which is really fascinating. And so I was like, wow. I mean, 5,000 years old, CCFT, and I come up with a T based on PubMed, and it's the same T? Yeah,
0: oh, (laughs) I mean, that is just the pattern when it comes to ancient knowledge, whether it's Ayurvedic, naturopathic, homeopathic, whatever it is, they knew something way more in-depth and ahead of the curve. You know, and, you know, we just need, to, as scientists, we need some studies to right. validate it. But at the end of the day, you know, that old folk medicine or grandma's medicine, that was, they knew.
1: Yeah, so CCFT has, uh, I've recommended it to people who've asked me for suggestions for digestion boosting teas. And it's really simple to make. You just take you know, 16 ounces or 12 ounces of water and you simmer, you you put it on a stove and then you simmer a teaspoon each of cumin seeds, fennel seeds and coriander seeds just for like five to 10 minutes and strain it and sip it.
0: And just sip it and...
1: Yeah, so it can help with bloating, Mm -hmm. which is often a sign of sluggish digestive fire where things are just sitting around for too Mm -hmm. long. It can help with flatulence, which fennel is known to help with. And it can also help, like I said, to cool the digestive tract if there's excess heat At the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. So, some acid reflux and bloating are that's that's just a profile that we see so much of, right. This would be perfect, right? Yeah, because it has the dual effect mm-hmm. That's really cool. How, what about um, some herbs or spices you see that have an antibiotic effect? So, f- say say someone is sick, mm-hmm. say someone has a digestive infection, something. Um, which ones are some of them that you really love?
1: Yeah, so you know, growing up again, we were always given this kind of rice and water congee or like porridge of sorts with cumin seeds. And cumin seeds has anti have antimicrobial effects, but also help the digestive fire. Um, cinnamon actually is not often thought of, but it it can also be cooling for the digestive tract and has a wide array of not just antibacterial but also antifungal effects. So I think it's often recommended as part of like candida protocols. Um, turmeric again, just a potent anti inf- you know uh, anti infective in general. So, those would be my go to's. You can make just a light. So, I don't know how you feel, and maybe this is off topic, but you know, here when people have digestive, up, like upset stomach, they will do the bread, rice, the Brat diet, mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. it's called. And I just find rice to be very healing in that situation. Not so much bread because mm-hmm. gluten yeah, is yeah. problematic. And all
0: the other crap in it.
1: Yeah, all the other crap in it. But when you do just a simple rice porridge with a lot of water, so it's like quite easy to digest, and then you Put put into that um, a little cumin powder, a little turmeric, and you can add this other spice, which is I haven't talked about yet, but I should because I get a lot of questions. In India, we call it hing, and it's uh, I think the Western name is asafetida. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's a real spice. It has a really funky aroma, very off putting, but again mellows out in a dish. And also, ancient wisdom says very very powerful for digestive issues. So you just make a little what we call khichdi, if you want if you like. It's like a like a rice porridge mm-hmm. with a little lentils if you want, and then these spices, and that can really help restore balance.
0: Yeah, especially if you're nauseous or throwing up throughout mm-hmm. the day, this might be a really good mm-hmm. home remedy that you can do. It sounds like it's pretty quick too. Yeah. yeah, The the power of food medicine.
1: Power of food medicine, and it's it tastes good. Yeah, and it tastes <laughs> it good. Feel like medicine. Yeah,
0: quote, Yeah, like we think medicine, we're like, oh, taking a tablespoon yeah. of robutussin yeah. when we are kids, but. Maybe not you in India, but over here, you know. Yeah. We, we were getting yeah. that regularly. What about how do you feel about oregano?
1: Oh yeah, it's a, it's a very potent, and um, I learned about it through some of the people I follow on Instagram who seem to take like straight up shots of oregano yeah. when they're um, battling a cold. So yeah, I think it can be really powerful, and I've seen it as part of some wellness shots lately and some natural remedies that you know we incorporate into my kids' lives. Yeah. So yeah, definitely very powerful. Have you
0: gone to Air One yet here in LA? No,
1: I have not. I you need to. You have to go to Air One
0: before you leave, please. <laughs> okay, I will do Make it tomorrow Make this promise, go tomorrow, and then you'll see. First of all, it's like healthy store heaven on earth. Yeah.
1: Like
0: overpriced, but whatever. Right. <laughs> but they have all these wellness shots, right? Mm-hmm. Candida cleanse, parasite, gut cleanse. But if you look at what's in there, right. it's pretty therapeutic. It's, right. I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually a good formula. mm mm-hmm. um, but a lot of them have oregano. Mm-hmm. I, oregano is so strong for me. I'll eat it, it's just so, how so do you, powerful. So how do you find the
1: quotes to take it? Well,
0: some, I'll take it sometimes. Um, I have like these capsules that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, say if I have something going on with my digestive system, I'll take that, but I'll eat a lot of food around it. I made the mistake when I first took it years ago of taking it on an empty stomach and I was...
1: It was too much.
0: was like fire in my stomach, wow. you know? Wow, fascinating. So it, it, it's interesting how some, maybe it's cultural but some people respond very differently and it's mm-hmm. probably more microbiome, but maybe it's part cultural yeah, too. Yeah. I love sage, I love thyme.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um you know something interesting I learned in school during the plague, these these doctors would wear the bird masks you ever see pictures of the plague and they, they have like these it looks like a masquerade bird mask mm-hmm. but they're stuffed with time
1: wow yeah isn't that really? interesting so that which is, is antimicrobial
0: so cool. effects and they're just breathing it in it's like activated time so they're just opening it up by smacking it together and
1: Unbelievable. continuously wow.
0: just breathing in mm-hmm. aromatics but again they knew so much
1: yeah yeah absolutely it's amazing
0: so i i when when you did this q a i saw a while ago someone asked you about What's the best diet? How do we do this? <laughs> what do, and but you had a really good answer. Did I? Yeah, you talked about the spices, you talked about um individuality. And, yes. and and I like I like the way you said it because well, I'll let you.
1: I've experimented with my fair share of diets. So, I've tried pescatarian, I've tried totally plant-based, probably not for that long, maybe for a reason. Um I've tried I mean, I went from sort of the non-conscious, non-mindful, omnivore diet to then trying some of these, you know, I had a shift in consciousness and started to try some of these diets. And in the end, I just found, yeah, I think there is no one perfect diet because I think we're all unique and we all have unique needs. And I think just going back to that point around tapping into our intuition, I think we need to tap into how our bodies are communicating with us, and feel how we feel in response to certain foods. Now I will say this, my universal rule is that a diet that is um, devoid of processed food, really rich in earth-grown nutrients of many different colors, many different varieties, seasonal, local, rich in plant-based foods with, I like to think of animal foods, which are now part of my diet um, as a side dish rather than the main course. And also I'm really particular about where those animal products come from. So I am a conscious omnivore, I, I basically say. So when I do eat animal products, I really go out of my way to make sure they are pasture raised or fairly treated and I keep them like I said, as a side dish or they not, they're not part of every single meal. This idea that we have to have animal product in every single meal, I think, is...
0: Overkill, overkill. for lack of better terms. Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, I would say just a diet rich in earth-grown nutrients, plant-heavy, lots of spices and herbs, which we know are so wonderful to boost flavor, to make food more joyful, to consume and have, have therapeutic effects. And really some a diet that suits your bioindividuality. So maybe you thrive on a vegan diet, maybe you thrive on a pescatarian diet, maybe you thrive on an omnivorous diet, but be connected to where the food is coming from and what's involved in the supply chain, whether it's an animal product, whether it's a plant-based product, um, you know, and I would say that your body will really reward you by thriving.
0: Just last episode, our guest said, if you have animal product, it should be a side dish.
1: Because mm-hmm. it's true,
0: right? And we, growing up in this culture, many cultures, we have that is the main dish and then the plant as a side dish. Right. So she was really preaching 50, 60 and up percent of your plate should have that.
1: Absolutely. Or
0: in, on a bed of greens, different colors, different... I always say rainbow. I say, eat think the about rainbow. the rainbow, eat the rainbow. Yeah. At the end of the day, did you go over every color? And did you eat it in the form of vegetables and fruits? And,
1: you know, you can teach that to your kids. It's very um, relatable for them because yeah. they know the rainbow and it's a really cool thing. And they've all drawn it in some shape or form. And then you ask them, what colors of the rainbow did you yeah. eat today? Or yeah. or if all their meal looks very brown or yeah. white, you're like, can we add some rainbow colors? Yeah, you know, it's a, We
0: we did a, a talk when I was in, in school, in med school, and we went to a, a, one of the elementary schools and we framed it that each color gives you a superpower mm-hmm, based on sort of what it does therapeutically. So I'm like, you, you with this vision, with this carrot, you're going to have vision that you can see from afar, all of the bad guys. And yeah. so that the kids were like all about it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you're right visually. So, I, so then let, let's just talk about that because you have Two kids? One kid?
1: I have two kids. Two kids. Six and two. Yes, they were really the inspiration for Spice Spice Baby because I started giving my son spices in his baby purees when he was six months old. And a lot of my mom friends were kind of shocked and uh, worried that I was doing something illegal. And they were like, have you checked with a pediatrician? Like, that's so interesting. We want to learn more, you know, cardamom in the pear puree or cinnamon with sweet potato or cumin with lentils and avocado. And it was second nature to me because of my background and where I grew up. But I realized people are scared of spices, especially when it comes to kids. I would say that was the initial inspiration for Spice Spice Baby, the platform. And the book has 100 recipes that have all been tested on my kids. So I call them kid approved. Yeah, They may not work for every kid. Yeah. But yeah, it was important to me that we also eat one meal as family. Mm-hmm. And kids should be part of that experience on the family table. Now, there are days when my toddler would throw everything on the floor mm-hmm. and will boycott the entire meal. <laughs> so it's not picture perfect in my household. But... It's important to me that my kids also eat that way that I just described, eat the rainbow, et cetera, et cetera. And I will say that I've learned to find balance. So I probably eat that way 80 to 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. And then 10 to 20% of the time, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a human on earth and I just eat, you know, I don't know, French fries or... Yeah, whatever else it is. Whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I find that I don't even crave those foods anymore and I, you know... It's really interesting to me how when I made the shift towards thinking of delicious, abundant food, um, the abundance and the deliciousness of healthy food, it just made it less of like, oh, I'm living this lifestyle. Like, even when I go to a restaurant now, I don't want to eat like, I don't know what, what would I, you know, I don't want to eat what, like, what fried I, yeah. chicken wings.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want
1: to eat a salad yeah. or like a really nice bowl of vegetables with a piece of salmon. Like yeah. I actually crave the kind of food I eat on my own even when I go out now. Yeah. Um, I may occasionally eat ice cream or like a chocolate cake.
0: But even at that you won't you won't be eating as much because it's so much more sweet. Like this right. is the combo we had last week the the taste buds change Absolutely. over time. Absolutely. Right? If you give me a sip of Pepsi I, I can't even do it. It's going to be too sweet. Yeah. But people will drink it because it's not sweet enough. You know. Right.
1: And I mean, I would I would also say that we, we're learning more and more about the microbiome and mm-hmm. we know how much that population of gut bacteria influences everything. And I would say that a lot of those cravings that people have may be coming from or stemming from the constitution of their microbiome. Yeah. And when you switch to this more real food-based earth nutrient you know, derived diet, your microbiome shifts, and we know from studies that it shifts very quickly. Yeah. And so now the signals that are emanating from your new microbiome or your, you know, your more beneficial microbiome might not want actually those refined sugars. So yeah. who's really craving what you're craving? Yeah,
0: I think about that. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, who's really in control right who's now? Who's really in yeah? control?
1: Because we're outnumbered. Yeah, yeah, we see that with even
0: yeast candida, right? People yes. are craving sugar. They go, they're sugar fiends, right? And its is it the signals from the candida saying, hey, feed me. Feed me, I yeah. I want to grow. I want to make some babies.
1: I cannot tell you what a sugar addict I was growing mm-hmm. up. I have memories of hiding under the blanket as a kid, eating chocolate, okay? <laughs> like really serious sugar addict. Yeah. And now it is rare for me to crave sugar. Yeah. It's rare. I will enjoy it. Um, if it's a birthday party or whatever, you know, I'll enjoy the taste. But I can walk by um arrays and arrays of pastries and cookies and have zero desire. Same. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I that was not the case. So mm-hmm. I know firsthand that you can shift yeah. um, those cravings just by eating more real food.
0: And I say people, hey look, give it a few weeks, right? Like because you said it can shift pretty quick.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whatever you're every meal is feeding these mm-hmm. good guys, or I call them like your like your your friends. Your you know? friends, yeah. Or your foes. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Even at that, they're still part of you. So all friends, right? Um, and how we can how we can really have these good guys that are therapeutic and, you know, having a beneficial relationship with you. How can we have them thriving? Yeah. Right. And it's it goes back to food medicine, right? Good quality food, fiber, wonderful spices. Yeah. Right. Feeding them.
1: And we know actually that some spices have beneficial effects on the microbiome. Actually, capsaicin. There was a study looking at capsaicin and microbiome shifts, and they found that. Uh, you know, capsaicin supplementation or e- exposure in animal models really led to a shift towards more beneficial gut bacteria. So mm-hmm. how spices interact with a microbiome, I'm very interested in myself and very excited to see new research as it comes out.
0: I love what it do when, when it comes to cleaning out your respiratory system. I remember one time I was so stuffed up years ago and I go, Uh, my one inspiration to make, because I don't cook like that, Mm -hmm. you know, my one inspiration to make a grand dish at the time I had a girlfriend, I was like, I'm going to make you an Indian dinner, right? So I went out. I really put so much effort into it. I overspiced it. It was (laughs) way hot. Yeah. But she was stuffed up too. I remember. And
1: it like cleared you out?
0: Both of us, (laughs) we were cleared out. We were breathing. I mean, it was all coming out, but um, it's so powerful to think that one plate can do what, you know, 1,200 milligrams of a supplement can do.
1: Totally. You know? I've tried to convince my husband now when he gets a cold, I'm like, don't go to the pharmacy and buy the Theraflu or whatever Tylenol cold. It's like, just have the soup with like chicken broth and... Freshly sliced turmeric root and lemongrass and ginger and black peppercorns and bay leaf and just see how you feel. And it's like, it's amazing.
0: That's what I love about you. It's food medicine. You're pushing it, you know? And it's, I love when people have the conventional training and then they, they, they add that or shift to a traditional like you and understand that, Mm -hmm. man, this is where it starts because we know conventionally there's only 23.9 hours of nutrition training so it goes back to when your your friends were like did did they was your pediatrician okay with it I'm like does your pediatrician even know about it you know um that's what I I, I think about sometimes but how can people who are who have some trepidation about giving spices to kids how, how do they approach that maybe just adding on a little bit at a time what do you think
1: yeah, so I have a lot of um posts on my blog and on my Instagram feed about which spices to start kids on and how to approach it. And really my rule is don't be afraid kids will learn to love what they're exposed to. And so I like to suggest starting with what I call the inoffensive spices that are mild, easy to digest literally and figuratively. So turmeric is a great one, cumin, coriander, paprika, cinnamon. Start with those a little bit at a time. Um, I even created this little spice matrix where people can kind of pair certain spices with certain foods. But again, I feel like the rules are there to be broken. Just trust trust your own taste buds and um, you know try different combinations and you'll be surprised my daughter now will only eat sweet potato fries that have been dusted with sumac she won't (laughs) eat them plain yeah and she's two and that's because I really exposed her early on don't be afraid of rejection it just means they need more exposure and um, I would say that you spice up your own food and as a consequence you spice up your kids food and it's just a win-win all around
0: I saw you talk about that sumac
1: Uh What is that? So I learned about sumac after I started Spice Spice Baby because uh, sumac's not a native spice for us Indians, and I didn't grow up with it. I had seen it at Middle Eastern restaurants. If you've ever been to a Middle Eastern restaurant and seen kebabs that are... purplish powder dusted on it Mm -hmm. or hummus that's dusted with kind of this burgundy powder that is sumac it comes from the bush sumac bush in the middle east these ripe berries probably very anthocyanin rich Mm -hmm. because of the purple pigment and then they're ground down into this fine powder and often cured with some sea salt Tremendous antioxidant effects, anti-cancer benefits, um, anti-inflammatory effects. So really, really beautiful spice to bring into your kitchen. Sumac is kind of like lemon without the liquid. So adds this lemony, tangy zing to food with earthy and fruity tones. It's a really complex and wonderful spice. So I love putting it on sweet potato fries, any roast vegetables, chicken, fish, hummus, Mm -hmm. eggs, so good on eggs.
0: Interesting. I we have never heard of sumac until I like went into your stuff. Um, I hear how passionate you are, and that's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I People know, need to be more really passionate. Really excited yeah.
1: when, especially when I'm thinking about the food. So. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah, and that makes one of us because that I'm trying to like add in. So yeah. you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get your get your book. Oh, And yeah, I'm I'll going to, to start. Yeah, I'm gonna put it right in the middle of the kitchen, <laughs> and I'm going to dedicate myself to putting. At least three spices a day in the foods I eat. Yeah,
1: you're gonna love it. Instead it's of salt and pepper, it's just gonna make, and it makes cooking more fun. And yeah. once you get good at it, you really start to see that as a creative tool in your yeah. toolkit or your kitchen, you know, cabinet. A little bit of that. A little bit. I of forgot this. to tell
0: you, I was inspired this morning. I had, well, I I, I put some kale on the um the pan. Yeah you see, I don't even know my way around the kitchen. I put my <laughs> way around the pan and I, and I put some tempeh cause I'm vegan and I put in some edamame spaghetti. Okay. But because of you, I put some turmeric.
1: Nice. I
0: put, instead of taking it in a supplement, I put some turmeric, I put yeah. some pepper, Yeah. I put some cayenne and I put some Himalayan salt. That's as far as I'm going to go right now. Wow. But I, I thought about you when I did this and I go, okay. I don't know correct ratios. I don't know anything there like that. There is no
1: correct ratio. You the just correct do it. ratio is the one that you like to eat.
0: Mhm. Okay. You know,
1: I will put a lot of spices in my dish because my palate is just used to them. You yeah. can start with less, build up from there. Um yeah, you're not there is there's no mistakes.
0: Yeah. And what about synergy? Do these spices work together?
1: Oh, wonderful question. So the one that people probably know that gets a lot of attention is turmeric and black pepper. And mm-hmm. we know that's because black pepper, even a pinch of black pepper because of piperin, which is the compound in pepper, mm-hmm. will boost the bioavailability of turmeric. Um, so that's a really, like a no-brainer. And I have actually defied a lot of conventional recipes that I grew up with where pepper is not part of the recipe. I will always put pepper when I'm using turmeric because yeah. might as well. Yeah. Um, synergies... Yeah, I mean I think, you know, cumin, coriander, turmeric work really well together. That's yeah. a common kind of curry blend with a little cayenne. But honestly, yeah, just experimenting yeah. and not being afraid and feel and realizing that if you cook with intention and you take pride in cooking food for yourself, it really is the ultimate form of sort of honoring yourself yeah. and self-love and self-care
0: yeah.
1: and don't see it as a chore. I just wish more and more people would cook for themselves. I yeah. Think it's just such a beautiful practice. Yeah, because practice.
0: They're, they're, when, when we, I know me in particular, when I don't have time, guess what? Like, I'll just eat on the go. Mm-hmm. And that you is and everybody else, the yeah. number one. Like, and I, I keep complaining. I don't have time to chop up this and cook it up and then store it and then make right. it. But how much better I feel when I have a full day's meal of intentional food?
1: Mm-hmm. It's
0: so real. I, I tell really people is. how impo- how important it is. So look, take one day. I mean, take one day and and make a meal, at least one meal, intentional. Use your spices.
1: Yes. <laughs> right.
0: Combine them and uh, and get your inspiration. So, what do you have planned now? What are you going to do? A- anything Anything new coming up?
1: So I recently launched the Mom Light podcast. Jumped on the podcasting train, and it's been such an enriching experience. It's only been up eight weeks. Every conversation I have really enriches me personally. I feel like I've grown so much through the eight interviews. So MomLight is dedicated to helping mothers find more health and vitality and vibrancy because as I was helping mothers feed their kids more nutritious, flavorful, spiced, adventurous food, I realized that so many moms themselves were really struggling with their own health. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to try to fill the mom's cup with health and wellness and joy, and then she can be an even better mom and citizen of the world. So that's really the goal of that podcast. And then mom, as an extension of that, I'm hoping to create more, I guess, um, Digital offerings that can reach more mothers around this area of health and wellness. So I'm a health coach and I work with a lot of moms one on one, but I only have so many so many hours in the day. Exactly. You know that uh-huh. well. So some sort of offering where I can just help more mothers um, feel better. Okay, so that's and in cook, the works. Cook um, amazing yeah. food with spices. Okay, so in we the are, works.
0: yeah in the works. So everyone, get on that podcast, start listening to it. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a daughter, a grandmother, start mm-hmm. listening to it.
1: Thank you. That's going to be on
0: fire for you. Um, Look, thank you for coming. I agree with what you said that every time you have someone on the show, it enriches your life. And man, like, I I don't know about everyone else when they listen, but I feel so inspired to go home again and open up my spice cabinet, lay them out in front of the counter so I go... If there's
1: no aroma, throw them out. That means there's nothing left. It's not bad, but it's lost its potency.
0: Who knew? See, (laughs) now I know. The power of food medicine... Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for telling us everything that we need to do, giving us all this beautiful information. Um, I feel honored. Thank you.
1: Thank you. The honor is mine.
0: All right, everyone. What a. Cool, cool conversation that was. I knew it would go that way. Uh, What a brilliant guest we have. Thank you, Chief Spice Mama. You have taught me and inspired me to use spices and hopefully the audience and the viewers. Um, Really cool stuff. Food is medicine, let us not forget that. We have um, another show coming up after this, already planning on it. It's gonna be amazing. Um, Thank you all so much for supporting the show. I said it in the beginning of the show and I'm gonna end it. I'm gonna bookend it the same way. Much love to all. Thank you for supporting the show, rating, reviewing, subscribing. You know I got a lot of love for you. I thank you every single day. I do my morning rituals and I say thank you for everyone supporting the show so you know it's coming out of love. I hope, if anything, you're all empowered more than you were yesterday. Much love.